Some of you only need to look across the dinner table to find your closest connection to agriculture. Others of us need to look a little further back to find our farming family. My name is Portia Stewart. All four of my great-grandparents were farmers. But by my grandfather's generation, only my grandfather was still in agriculture. Now, like many Americans, I have no more farmers in my family. This made me wonder, have consumers lost their connection to the land? And have farmers lost their connections with consumers? Let's see if we can make some new connections. Welcome to Overheard, the Farm Journal Livestock podcast that connects the hearts and minds of producers and consumers to preserve our sustainable resources and provide high-quality food. We start the show with Have You Heard, the latest in livestock news. Today, we're talking about the dairy farmer who filed lawsuit on PFAS groundwater contamination. In February, we shared the story of Art Shop, the owner of the New Mexico dairy forced to dump 1,500 gallons of milk each day. Shop had to let all but nine of his 40 employees go, and he plans to cull all 4,000 of his cows because seven of his 13 wells have been contaminated by toxins called PER and polyfluoroalkyl substances, or PFAS, that entered the groundwater at nearby Cannon Air Force Base. We caught up with Shap at World Dairy Expo, where he gave us an update on his story. According to Shap, he was forced to launch a lawsuit against the 10 manufacturers of the foam that contained PFAS. He is also preparing to file a lawsuit against the Department of Defense because they denied his claim to settle. PFAS are used in fire-retardant foam to smother flames from mock airplanes set on fire by trainees. The chemicals make the foam resistant to grease, water, dirt, and heat, which can make it useful in extinguishing jet fuel fires. Currently, the EPA hasn't set a standard for a safe level of PFAS. As a result, USDA Food Safety and Inspection Service FSIS, has put out an all-points bulletin to all of the packing plants to tell them not to buy shops cows. So I've got cows on my dairy dying every day from old age and from this PFAS. I'm still dumping my milk, he says. Through the Dairy Indemnity Program, USDA is helping to offset the cost of dumping the milk. The provisions of this program also include a cow buyout, he says. To me, it would be easier to just do the cow buyout and shut the dairy down, because then it quits costing the government money to pay me to dump the milk. It doesn't make any sense, he says. So we're talking to them, the USDA, pushing them to use the statute that they have. U.S. Senators and representatives from the state of New Mexico are pressing Congress to pass legislation for PFAS, with as many as 20 bills circulating, Shop says, and he believes some of those bills will get traction. I think this is going to happen because it's too widespread. This is a nationwide problem, Shop says. The biggest issue is the EPA sitting on the standard. 
We in agriculture, if we know of sources that could have PFAS in the milk or meat or vegetables or beef, we need to know it. We need to find it and we need to take it out of the food supply. Shop says it's critical for agriculture to take a proactive stance, just as the organic market has done. In organics, they're testing, they're finding, they're eradicating, and you have a clean food supply. And that's what we represent in agriculture. We represent the best in the world. And the best in the world is chemical-free, contamination-free, he says. As he waits for the lawsuits to move through the legal system, Shop continues to lobby his legislators to help them understand the risks associated with PFAS. His main message, this stuff can get into the food supply, and it got into the food supply. Second, and of increasing concern, Shop cites the fact that farmers are the recipient of those contaminants, and they potentially affect property rights, food supply, and, ultimately, farmers' livelihood. It contaminates our bodies and our animals' bodies, he says. And whoever these polluters are, if it's the Air Force, industry, whatever, they need to be held accountable for what they've done. When asked if dairy farmers should be scared, Shop's answer is unequivocal. Yeah, the best thing they can do is to test their water. If they have it in their water, start filtering their water because they don't want to be in a situation where they have to shut their farm down, he says. What would Shop do differently? I would have been more proactive, he pauses. Or maybe I would have said nothing. But now that I'm involved in it, I need to say something. Yeah, I mean, it sounds bad, but the other side of this is I didn't want to have my milk exposed to anybody in the food supply. And that's why I started dumping. Next up, let's meet a millennial. Here, millennial consumers share their feelings about meat and dairy, what they eat, where they shop, and how they make their purchasing decisions. Today, I'm joined by Kristen. Hi, Kristen. Hi, Portia. So, how are you? I'm good. Well, first question, um, do you eat meat? I do. Um, I primarily eat chicken and beef, but I do also like pork and sometimes some salmon. Are you a barbecue eater? Yes, I do love barbecue. Anything grilled, I'm pretty much here for. Um, but I also do like to bake, um, put it in some casseroles or something like that. I love lasagna. Oh, lasagna is one of my favorites too. So are you a beef lasagna person or do you put sausage or any? Beef, yeah. Beef, beef yep. and cheese. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I, I used to be very traditionally beef focused and then I learned a little bit of sausage in there, like a 50-50 mix. Mm. It's like it's super, it just adds a little bit of, I don't know, zip. I'll have to try that. So uh, do you consume dairy? I do. Okay, so um, do you drink milk? Yes, I actually love a good glass of milk just by itself, and a lot of people think I'm really strange for that, but I've always, yes, loved milk, eat yogurt, cheese is great, all the dairy. All the dairy. Um, cheese trays, yogurt, all of it. Mm-hmm. Anything you don't like? Um, not that I can really think of, honestly. I mean, even the sour cream, cream cheese. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Taco Bell has a sour cream gun. When I saw this, I thought this was the most amazing thing I'd ever seen. <laughs> this gun that actually shoots real sour cream. And I, I actually, my husband's like, you need one. <laughs> like, that's really bad. It would be bad for my waistline. Um, so tell me about your eating habits. Do you snack at all? Um, I do snack, but it's probably more like once a day toward the end of the work day or maybe right when I get home. It's something, but it's usually mostly like 
trail mix or a granola bar or wheat thins and hummus or something mm-hmm. like that. What about um, meal times? Do you have routines around your meal times? Do you try to eat at the table? Are you eating on the go? I do. Um, so I typically have a small breakfast with a cup of coffee in the morning, and then I will bring my leftovers from dinner for lunch um, to work with me. And then um, I do cook dinner probably two or three times a week. So, Tell me about your shopping habits. Do you Are you like a supermarket, like I want to go in and buy for the month, or do you buy for, you know, a day at a time? I actually buy for a couple weeks at a time. Yeah. So I try and go as little as possible, but I don't think I could think up what I wanted to eat for a whole month at a time. But I can usually think about things um, two weeks at a time. Right. So I'll typically go in the beginning of one week and then I'll have enough to make food for the week ahead and then the week following that. My husband makes fun of me because when I go in, I'm like, I'm going to fill this thing to the top so I don't have to come back. It's That's my whole mission is to not have to go back to the store. And I'm like, fill it up and then they try to put it back in the cart and it's like, it's always too much. <laughs> I don't know how it gets in there. He will go every day and he, he makes fun of me. He's like, you don't actually shop. You don't know what a grocery store looks like because I just try not to go. Yes. I actually do... <laughs> love having a stocked pantry so you have options too so it's like you don't have to stick with what you said you would make but you have the option to make whatever you want whatever you feel like that evening so do you like to cook I do I think it's a lot of fun and I think it's kind of a stress relief for me so do you like to cook the type of thing where you have a recipe and you're gonna follow it or do you like to make your stuff up yourself um typically I mean I do what my mom does. She follows the recipe the first time. Right. See what it's like, and then you can tweak it how you want it. So do you um, do you mind it if other people are in the, the room when you're cooking, or do you like to kind of step out of here, I'm working? Mm, I really don't mind. It just kind of depends on what it is. I think more if I'm baking, I like the room to myself, but yeah. if I'm cooking, I can ask for suggestions. There you go. <laughs> um, so how important is, is it to you whether your food is fresh ver- versus like packaged food? Um, I think it really just depends on what I'm making, honestly, because for some ingredients, I find that, you know, frozen or canned vegetables will work um, just as well as fresh, but um, sometimes fresh, you really just can't beat, especially if it's straight out of the garden. Right. It's just so much better that way. So it really just depends on what it is I'm making. Do you grow anything yourself? Um, I don't, but my parents do and have always, so I like to get fresh things from them. What kind of things do they grow? Um, They grow tomatoes, squash, zucchini, sweet corn, sometimes potatoes, green beans fresh out of the garden are probably some of my favorite things. Oh, yeah. Um, Peppers, cantaloupe. Wow. Yeah. You got a good garden there. (laughs) I tried to grow strawberries on our deck and the squirrels got into it, so I'm not so (laughs) successful. Um, Last question, what is your favorite guilty pleasure food? Oh, probably anything fudgy. Like, I love a good brownie with tons of chocolate chips. Do you cook your brownies all the way through? No. I don't either. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. I always get made fun of, like, those brownies are still raw. No, they're not. Amazing. (laughs) They're perfect. They're perfect. (laughs) Thank you, Kristen. Yes, thank you. I'm joined now by Anna Lisa Laka. She's the director of dairy content at Farm Journal, and today we're talking PFAS. So first off, what is PFAS? So PFAS are a group of synthetic chemicals that have been used around the world since 19, the 1940s. So you could think of them as like Teflon on cookware, or um, Scotchgard is another like commonly new, known um, brand name, but they're chemicals that are water resistant, 
um, and keep things from sticking. So they're lining pizza boxes and um, they also were used to put out jet fuel fires on um, military installations around the country. So how does this really affect dairies? So one of the things that's becoming an increasing concern with PFOS is that as we um, are able to test water down to, to, you know, smaller particulate levels, we are detecting PFOS in the water. And what that means for dairy farmers is that in some areas where PFOS levels are really high in the water, it can cause concern because that PFOS is then found in milk as well. If it's getting into the groundwater, it seems like it would affect people as well. So, yeah, so it does, it it can affect people, but again, these are really, really micro levels, and the FDA so far does not have any kind of recommendation on what a safe level is. Um, We we know that these um, chemicals are found in in really, really, really small levels, but the concern is that they're called they're classified as by the EPA as a forever chemical, which means once it's in your body, it never leaves. And so that's the concern that we have is um, as the as we consume these chemicals as humans, um, they build up over time in our systems. And so, as a person, can I get tested for PFAS? You can. And should I? I don't know that answer. (laughs) So let's talk about um, uh, a little bit about who should be concerned about PFAS. So uh, dairy farms throughout the country, if, if if you are not currently testing your water, if you don't have a water testing program in place, that's something that um, all farms should be doing on, you know, across the board. Um, And you can find more information about how to set up a water sampling system protocol on our website at milkbusiness.com. But if you live near a military installation or if you um, draw well water from an underground aquifer that also runs near um, a military installation, then I would highly recommend that you do some private testing first before you involve any state any state labs, but if if you are near a military installation, the likelihood that the levels of PFAS in your water are higher is very probable. So if I find that I have levels of PFAS, my cows have levels of PFAS in their system, what do I do about it? So that's a tricky question, right? Because there's no FDA guidance. So right now, there's nobody to say that you can't sell your milk still. Um, or that you can't um, sell your meat even. Um, The environmental scientists that we've talked to recommend figuring out what the levels are first and then consulting an environmental consultant to discuss what your options are in terms of, um, you know, using different wells, punching into different aquifers. And then if none of that works, then they recommend notifying your state Department of Agriculture. So to be clear, right now we don't know what is a safe level of PFAS. No, we don't. And we've been, um, you know, there have been farmers and environmental scientists pressuring the FDA and the EPA for many years to determine what safe levels are. Um, The issue with PFAS goes back almost a decade to a farm in Maryland was the first one to discover that they had um, PFAS in in their water. And um, it's a chemical that's also used in some water treatment facility processes. And so this farm was near a water treatment facility. 
Um, and the sludge from that water treatment facility, they had been putting on their farmland for many years. And so that is what boosted the levels in their wells. Um, but, you know, even though this issue has gone on for a long time, the FDA is still really reluctant to to release any kind of um, even like warning or guidance on safe levels. So right now, if you're a dairy farmer, you're... So if you're a dairy farmer right now, um, I would say that the best course of action would be to have the paperwork in place to be able to document the um, quality of your water. That's something that as consumers um, start caring more about where their milk comes from and as urban sprawl continues to be a bigger issue and as um, more people in general in large population centers are concerned about the quality of their water, if we have the ability as an industry to demonstrate, actually, we reduce the nitrogen levels in our water and actually, you know, these are the, the positive things that we do. If we have documentation of that, then we'll be better off in the long run. So you actually own a dairy. How concerned are you about PFAS? So I actually own a dairy that's about five miles from Naval Air Station Fallon. Um, And so there is a good chance that our wells have PFAS in them. We have not tested them. Um, We are in the process of sending those water samples off to the state lab. Um, I don't know how concerned I am, to be honest. I think that, um, you know, it's an issue that could become more prevalent. I also think that just living in America and in, in an industrial age, we consume a lot of chemicals in a lot of other ways, you know. Right. Uh, do you get, what, what are the most common questions you hear from readers about PFAS? Should I be concerned? Right. Um, could this happen to me? Meaning, uh, you know, there have been some farms, uh, the largest of which is in New Mexico, that have been shut down by um, the FSIS, the federal food safety inspection service um, because of PFAS in their water. And so there have been some concern with farmers about whether or not that could happen to them. Um, Also just general concern about like, what does this mean for the life of my cows? And what does this mean for me as a person? You know, that farmer in particular in New Mexico, the, the levels of PFAS in his blood and in the blood of his wife were very, very high. Um, but they've been advised by their doctor that, that that doesn't necessarily increase their risk for cancer or any of the other things that are associated with high PFOS levels like infertility and um, some things like that, cognitive heart disease, right? issues like that. So um, one of the things you guys do on MilkBusiness.com is you created a resource center. You can find more about PFOS at MilkBusiness.com slash P-F-A-S. Thanks. Thanks. Thank you for joining us today on Overheard, the Farm Journal Livestock Podcast. We'll see you next time on Overheard.